0: ولكن لماذا تظل عنايات سجينة أوائل الستينيات؟ ألم تقل هي نفسها إنها ربما ولدت في الزمان الخطأ؟ بل وحلمت بأن تلوي وجودها وتولد في زمان آخر؟ لتكن عنايات الزيات كاتبة مصرية تسعينية لقد قابلتها بالصدفة في القاهرة في 1990 كنا كاتبتين شابتين تتكلمان لغتين مختلفتين Welcome
1: everyone to episode 48 of uh, Bulak. What you just heard was the Egyptian author and poet Iman Marcel reading from a new book of hers that we're very excited to be discussing on today's episode. Uh, we just wanted to play a little bit of it at the top and we'll run the full excerpt at the end of the episode um, for those who understand Arabic. Um, and as usual, we're, I'm Ursula Lindsay, um, with me is Marsha Links-Queli and we're coming to you from Rabat, Morocco and Amman, Jordan, recording in our respective residences. Where we are locked in, or at least I am. Yeah, where you are still totally locked in, and I am uh, not totally locked in. Things are actually improving a bit here, um, or, or quite 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 a bit. Uh, but anyway, we'll take our mind off of um, <laughs> <laughs> the outside world uh, by talking about this really uh, exciting book.
2: Yeah, actually, this is the is one of the wonderful escapes that I've had from the outside world. Uh, uh, many of the other books I've read recently have reminded me uh, of what's going on. This this book took me somewhere else entirely, for which I was extremely grateful. I think uh, we're going to call it uh, In the Footsteps of Anad al-Zayat. Uh, it came out uh, at the end of last year. Uh, although Imen started as a poet, this is a work of nonfiction, f- following her, um, her other work of nonfiction, How to Mend on Motherhood and Its Ghosts, which is referenced in this book as well. Uh, this book in particular, as y- you would guess from the title, uh, focuses around Anaya Zayed, but it is not, uh, as the book takes pains itself, to explain a biography of Anayat Zayet. Um, to me, it although it has many, it certainly is, is as rigorous as you would expect, uh, from a biographer in terms of the research she does. Um, uh, but that's, that's not the kind of the book's ultimate project to portray her on the page. Um, so much as one of the books that it really reminded me of a lot. And I was struck by probably only midway through, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm, because I'm a slow reader, uh, was Jebby G. Sabold and his kind of peripatetic examinations of uh of of the world and how he goes through different historical moments. Uh this is uh something different
1: in, in that You should say that it's a it's a book about a writer that everyone has. Forgotten. Yes. I'm so sorry. so Yes. So a so, uh, Anayta Zayat is not somebody famous. Right. Uh, right. Is and so it's a project of sort of telling the story of someone who who nobody's had heard of for or, or remembered, right?
2: Right. And the, the idea of an Ayata Zayet that came down to people was a very sort of flat idea. Right. She begins by telling us what do we know about Anaeta Zayat? So she read Love and Silence. And she was really struck by it. It became sort of a, a book that was important to her. She didn't think, you know she's not suggesting it's the greatest book of all times, but to her, in her pantheon literary pantheon, "Love and Silence," which was uh, Anayat's only book that was, that was published and only book that she wrote, um,
1: in the late 1960s, right? It was published she, was, she
2: wrote it in 1960, and it was published four years after her death in 1967. Um, but the, so the idea of Anayat Azayyad, because Anis Mansour continues to write about her, she, uh, Hassan Shah talks about her. She does become, there's an idea of her that exists, which is uh, her her novel was rejected um, and she committed suicide. I, I, you know, I think she attained maybe a level of notoriety as Uh, at least in the, in the late sixties. And this kind of the echo of this remains in part because she was, she was the woman who committed suicide either over, over a book, which is what uh, Anis Mansour seems to uh, mythologize about her or Hassan Shah over, over the personal status laws and over, uh, you know, her, inability to get a sort of a fair divorce and custody. Um, So there's this, we, we begin the book by understanding, understanding her in this very kind of flat way, seeing how she, how she existed, the traces of her that came down in the popular culture. And then throughout the course of the book, I think we unfold these different pieces of her life and pieces of Egypt in the mid 20th century and pieces of the world in the mid 20th century. So that she, to me, becomes sort of bigger and bigger and bigger. (laughs) And, uh, you know, until you're like stepping back and back to, to look at the whole of her or as, as much of her as we really can. I mean, through, through Iman's relationship with her and through other people's relationships with her, um, and, you know, and, and through discovering archives and through immense imagination of her as, as well. Um, although it's a pretty persuasive imagination of her.
1: Right. And it all, I mean, it all starts because, because Marcel sometime in the 1990s randomly picks up this novel, this only novel that Sayed wrote before. She, and And is struck by it, right, like connects to it, I mean she has a lovely line in there where she says something about um that the importance of certain works of literature to us doesn't you know that their 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 beauty and their importance you know doesn't correlate perfectly with like their importance in the canon or you know how exceptional they are it's that they mean something exceptional to us at a particular time yes. um and and so and clearly this book kind of spoke to her uh and then at some point uh, you know many years later right she starts investigating and then it's a detective story i mean i really liked how and I don't even know if we should give away because oh yeah, so many it's funny. Turns.
2: It's, uh, I normally I I'm not I don't, I'm not a I don't I don't care about spoilers normally. I'm a sort of a person who'll just tell you <laughs> the ending of a novel. Really, I'm very sorry, but I am. But in this case, there are some things that I feel you must wait for the surprise. In, uh, there were a number of times where uh, I was just blown away. <laughs> I couldn't believe. Um, certain aspects of, because it is this sort of slow unfolding, she she sets out what the basics are of what we think happened. And then as she does the detective work about why did it take four years for the novel to get, if it was basically accepted in in 1963, when, when around the time Zayet committed suicide, why did it take then four years for the novel to get you know, we, so we know these things and then slowly uh, over the course of the book, these like explosive surprises happen. Um, And, and, and yeah, I think those are some of the the joy and the, and the shock of, of reading this, this book.
1: Right. And the, and the, and the initial, I mean, so there's both the connection that, that, that Marcel feels to the writing itself. And then there's a kind of connection that she clearly feels to the writer, to the, to the actual young woman as she imagines her, because this is someone who wrote one book that showed a lot of talent and a lot of promise and then killed herself at age 24. And so you have this kind of tragedy and mystery and, you know, and I think you know this question of you know what what role did her work and its and she, and she and she had applied to have the book published and she had been told uh it was rejected although as you say the story then as as Marcel goes on unearthing it gets more and more complicated and she was also going through a divorce and a custody battle so the causes of her death as always was suicide everybody Right, you know, right. They're so hard to find, and, right. and people contradict each other, and 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 then there's this also this wild element to the story, which is that she was best friends with one of the most oh, famous yeah. actresses in Egyptian cinema with Nadia Lotfi. Yeah, and, that's amazing. Yeah. And Nadia Lotfi seems like is, is is herself such a big character in this book. Yeah, she's absolutely charming. Um, she's 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 kind of Exactly what you would expect a movie star to be in terms of like her sort of ebullience and 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 so on. And they had known each other since they were schoolgirls, and at the German and, school,
2: and, yeah, in Babalook.
1: And, and, and Lotebe gives all these sort of details and, 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 and spoke to her the night before she died and has a lot of insight into her temperament and, you know, what was going on in her life and so on and so forth. And also that kind of makes this extra tragic contrast because they were these two young women. One wanted to be a writer. One wanted to be an actress. One got seemingly exactly the, the, the life. I mean, as much as anyone can that she dreamed of. Yeah. You know, and and, and through this just absolutely for, you know, she's at a cocktail party and her, her aunt is, you know, know, knows a producer. And I mean, literally, literally, you know, people like, well, yeah, you should be in the movie, you know, and her career is launched. Right. And, and her friend who has very similar dream of being a kind of modern woman with an artistic career, uh, you know, is, is, uh, ends her life so early um so and the friendship seems very like touching and the way she talks about her even after all these years uh so there's that element too that's just
2: yeah no she uh, clearly they clearly had a very um uh close dense important friendship and and that this this the, her suicide resonated also throughout Nadia Lotfi's
1: life it says it says it says she had a nervous breakdown right yeah. that Nadia yeah. Lotfi had a nervous breakdown when her friend yeah
2: yeah and so the the book actually begins uh by referencing Paula did not go to the funeral and she did not know where the cemetery was or the graveyard was and Paula is the the birth name uh, the real name if if you will uh, of Nadia Lotfi uh, Paula Shafi when she went into the movies I think it said that her family didn't want her to use her her birth name right. so she, Nadia Lodfi who was herself a character in a film
1: yeah there's a bit of misdirection there at the beginning because you can't tell what's I mean a purposeful kind of like winding towards the central story
2: right well what's um, I think what's so wonderful one of the wonderful aspects and I think this is not spoiler it is so it begins by searching for um Anaya uh, Anaya's grave when you do finally come to her grave i cried in that uh, chapter um and and imen reports herself crying and I, I really you know i just imagine all the readers weeping in that chapter when she finally finds it and then um Anaya was actually working on a second novel Uh, at the time of her death. And she had written in her notes somewhere, the journey should start from the graves, because she was working on a novel around this uh, German, I think, archaeologist, you'd call him or whatever, uh, Ludwig Keimer. Uh, And she was searching into the archives and looking into his life, um, which is, I believe not a thing that Imen Marcel knew when she she started on this project. So as she finds herself looking at Anaid, she finds Anaid looking at Ludwig, Kaimar and and writing a, 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 a what was going to be a fiction about his life. Mm. And so the the whole book um, sort of uh, begins and ends around looking for. Graves, looking for cemetery, looking uh into these traces of of the past,
1: there's so much um actual physical wandering around too that yes, yeah, um, I really enjoyed, and you know, of course we both we actually know the neighborhoods that she's talking about, so when she's wandering around, looking for the grave, when she's wandering around, looking for the house that Anayet's father built for them and where she uh lived and, and killed herself. You can like really picture the places and the streets and and this this process that she goes through of, you know, again, detective work and also describing in like detail but in ways that I found like so interesting and so charming sort of like the people who are helpful and not yes um the <laughs> the people who are suspicious the people who um you know don't really want to give information and then the the people who on the contrary like want to sit down for 2 hours and tell her the whole history of the neighborhood um and it's a particularly i think 20th century Egyptian phenomenon, too, because of how fast history moved and how fast the city changed that you have these neighborhoods that are so that are like unrecognizable and full of kind of buried stories. Yeah, Well, it
2: it did remind me also then of Mohammed Shahid's book about Cairo architecture um mm. because here she is trying to you know Nadia Lotfi tells her oh well of course everybody knows it's right by this the most famous dairy yeah uh, I well.
1: loved I loved that <laughs> I was like that is exactly how people give you directions she mentioned some laban that existed like 50 years before and she's <laughs> like did she and 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 she and she says you know yes everybody knows it like you know go (laughs) it takes her days and days and days to find this place
2: right right and then she's imagining the way the building you know seeing all the changes that have happened to the building and how it must have looked when Anaed was alive
1: I mean I, I I have to say it's a book that I enjoyed very very much so far I haven't finished it I haven't gotten to where she finds the tomb yet I'm about halfway through um I feel like when we do these episodes where we both read books, I'm always the bad student who hasn't finished her homework, (laughs) hasn't quite, hasn't quite made it, gotten it done on time. Uh, But I really, I really enjoyed this. Uh, And I think, I don't know, I think there's a sensitivity to it, like, um, You know, it would be easy to or not easy, but it could happen that a story like this, the person narrating it might um, put themselves too much into it. Or there might be sort of something artificial about drawing these parallels or, you know, it might be a bit too intellectual or theoretic in the kind of unearthing you know of of a forgotten woman artist but it's so personal and so sincere and so like delicate I don't know yeah no at one point she does
2: specifically she does say that um so she's she's also not conflating herself uh with an ayatazaya she's she's not looking for herself in this story um uh, oh, I, you know, I once, um, whatever, had suicidal ideations, or, or or this is how I felt when la la la. She really, I mean, in part, it's a it's a story of her search, and that search tells so much about uh, class issues in Egypt, and 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 the geography of Egypt, and uh, and the history uh, of Egypt, and family relations in Egypt, and. And how people talk to each other, um, and she, she and the
1: status she, of like women's arts, yeah. like women's mm-hmm. literature, right? The the category almost of women's literature and and gender relations. I mean, uh, yeah,
0: have,
1: abs- absolutely. The tragedy, so- in a way, of Anaya's life is that one of the one of the biggest mistakes that she made was just getting married so young. And it says in a kind of throwaway line that she just wanted to get out of that strict German school and have a life of her own. And she ended up in what sounds like a terribly unhappy marriage. Yeah,
2: no, definitely. Um, uh, I wish I I had the line in front of me, but there's um, something about uh, her husband not allowing her uh, to work, either being the straw that broke the camel's back or the straw that she clutched in order as a drowning woman, trying to get herself out of the situation. Um, Clearly it was a miserable marriage. Uh, um, And then she had to really struggle to maintain her relationship with her son, which is another aspect of the tragedy that I don't want to ruin for anybody who hasn't, who hasn't read the book yet, but uh, you know, uh, but it's not just an unfolding of, of tragedies backwards and forwards. There's also this unfolding of beauty. And she talks about how, so uh, Anaya begins the book, maybe in the popular imagination, whatever trace of her remains, and maybe in amends as well as, as a sort of a victim. She was victimized by the, by the publishing industry. She was victimized by these men who didn't appreciate her work or by her, by the personal status laws, by, by her husband. Um, but by the end of the book, she's a, she's a person. Um, that's what the book has sort of managed to do is to find, take these traces and, and turn her into a fully formed person. And I have this very rough, um, very rough, not even a translation, but just a, um, a part of that I that I want to read, and it's uh, it's from near the, to the end of the book. But uh, I don't I don't think it gives any a, any spoiler per se. But I think it's important to understanding what Anayat sort of becomes. So the story goes on the night on which Anayat decided that life was unbearable. She left her son with her mother at 16 Abdel Fattah Zaini Street in Doi. And she went out that evening without knowing what to do on her own. She walked around for a while, stopping to see Miss Yara, known as Madame Nahas, who was not from the Nahas family. She was natural and at peace, her hair freshly cut, such that Miss Yara thought she'd just come from the hair salon. They spoke at the door and she didn't go in, saying she had an appointment. She went back home and walked up to her apartment on the second floor on tiptoe, like a thief. No one was with her when she took the 20 pink pills, and thus we don't know exactly when she fell asleep between two pillows, managing to pull the covers up until she disappeared beneath them, or whether there was a lamp beside the bed that she switched off as soon as she was settled beneath the covers. I know that when you lay out the details, it might seem absurd that a 25-year-old woman would leave like this. She has a son and can't imagine life without him, a compassionate and enlightened father like Mr. Abbas Zayat work that she loves at the German Archaeological Institute, a second novel that she's writing about a scientist named Keimer, and she goes to the hair salon and commits suicide. I, too, thought about this a lot, and I asked her sister and Paula and Siar and got no answer. To my mind, there is a missing moment in that evening, and Anaya did not go to the hair salon that night at all. She left her son with her mother. She ran back to her apartment and stood in front of the mirror. You women will understand that moment more than others, a moment when a woman finds nothing to do by herself, no desire to go out, nor speak, nor write, nor scream, nor shatter the mirror that confirms her existence. In that moment, Amaya decided to change her appearance, to bring her rage, her internal wound, and the panic that was controlling her to what she saw in front of her, to her face in the mirror. She took a pair of scissors and chopped off her hair. It was her hair, anyhow, part of her identity." Walking with her hair cut to Miss Yara's door with a sweetness of spirit was like a woman running at top speed after having set fire to her body or like a dead woman smiling or urinating only because those muscles were at rest. She came close to asking for help, perhaps because she was terrified by her face in the mirror. But at Miss Yara's door, she decided that she did not want help and that she had an appointment.
1: Hmm. So she takes... That's very nicely
2: translated. <laughs> uh, so she takes like... um uh these you know she she puts she assembles all these stories from talking to all the yeah. people who knew her and then she said this is the story but but this is how she also she also infuses it with her Im- imagination of what happened and of course i find it extremely persuasive that this is it, that yes that's what happened
1: but also it's, it's not the kind of book that would insist that that's what's happened. It's really no, is no, presented yeah. as her and she, and she gets there after kind of a long voyage, right. Towards, towards what she imagines happened. Um, yes.
2: No, she's very slowly building this character so that you, all, all these different aspects of, of her, um, that are so surprising. It's like, in first you see her, Oh, poor girl. Um, She wrote this novel and it was rejected. And, and she, you know, she obviously had issues with depression and there's, uh, there's also all this wonderful stuff about how mental illness was treated in, in Egypt in in the 20th century. And, uh, And, and then, but then, you know, she becomes so, so much more, uh, the, the second the, her work at the at the uh, at the German Institute and and then also this other woman uh, Isolda at the end who is now writing uh, a book or maybe she's finished writing a book about Ludwig Kaimar and uh, all of these th- what one of the things that really stunned me is some of these unfoldings I, I expected to be boring like I don't oh ancient Egypt as soon as I saw Ludwig Kaimar I was like oh she was writing a book about some German dude looking into a ancient Egypt. And it reminded me of contemporary novels where there's a like Howard Carter character or whatever that guy's name was, some famous, uh, you know, Egyptologist, mm-hmm. but this guy's life was so fascinating. Um, <laughs> and he, you know, and the way in which she writes about how he was, um, going around and and looking for ancient manuscripts and just his whole life about how he sort of gave up being a German and, and became Egyptian um, and his collection of manuscripts and his life during World War II and his friends. I also found this unfolding. There was so much around World War II and, and um, Jews who fled to Egypt, like uh, a young a girl who she was friends with in the German school, um, in, in during the the lead up to to World War
1: Two. Yeah, it's a it's a book with where all the tangents work. Yes, which is, yes, which is very hard to do. And then where, despite the story, like you said, being so sad, there's the constant joy of her finding things out. There's there's the constant thrill of like getting a little bit closer, you know, finding out a little bit more. There's just the kind of light that 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 the, it, that her interest shines on everything, right? Where yes, yes, it, and she and she makes everything about it interesting. And I loved also the kind of interviews when she finally gets to talk to, you know, the aged sister, Anayet's old mm, young sister, yes, and. Yes and how and all the emotions that you have when you're which i kind of related to as a journalist sometimes when you're when you're digging for a story and you need to connect with someone and get someone to trust you and get information out of them at the same time and respect them at the same time and respect their feelings like you well, know yes all those yeah. tensions that are that are at play in an interview where you like need someone Right, and you don't want to spook them, and you have to explain what you're doing. Um, and the way people are so eager to talk about Anayat azayet up to a certain point and on certain subjects, like like there's an eagerness, and then there's also a fear of losing control of her narrative, right? And, yeah. and some things being focused on that the family doesn't think are worth talking about,
2: right? Yeah, no, there's a, there are so many things. Uh, about this discovery process and interview process that I think you would normally, well, I, I would normally edit out of an interview, right? <laughs> about the tensions between you personally and and the person, and and questions you asked that they were prickly about um, that she puts on the surface here, which I uh, it uh, really helps you see. Uh, ultimately, also see Anayat as well as seeing the process of of discovering her, of tracing her impact, her traces.
1: Right. Because the other question is sort of, I, th- I mean, of the many, is why this author doesn't have a little bit more of a place in Egyptian literary history, or you know, what if what what might have been different if she if she had both not been so alone herself, like mm-hmm. if she had found a literary you know, community, right. And then also if, if, if these connections had been, if if, if if she if she had left more of a trace and obviously the book is, is, is doing, is doing exactly that. Um,
2: yeah. I've so talked
1: about, right. no, I think, go
2: ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's, you know it's hard to say of, of course there were uh women's books that had impact at the time i'm not sure we'd see you know a different sort of world but it's uh, it's it's also i think interesting that the the traces that we that did come down about her uh anis mansour apparently continued writing about him writing about her rather throughout his life and mythologizing his relationship to her, which was the important part to him. Yeah, who
1: is Anit like, like I I a super, I've
2: never read anything. Uh, okay, like a very central journalist, uh, literature. I think she calls him like a priest of literature at one point. <laughs> um, uh, you know, he's like a gigantic literary
1: tastemaker. But he wasn't. Was he a writer? He was a writer himself. He was a writer himself. That's not what he's known for.
2: He was a writer himself. He's he's maybe more known for his non his, you know, as a priest of literature. So Anis Mansour and Yusuf Sabahi were kind of like he Anis Mansour like claims that he uh, he read the manuscript in 1960 and that he offered her suggestions on things she could change and that she rejected it and that he published some of her short stories. Um, he sort of, he makes a but claim. But then other people
1: him. contradict that completely. They say, no, she never went to see him.
2: Yes. I mean, like, I other people I flat pretty, um, I think it's pretty certain that, that this is, uh, him mythologizing that he, um, it's pretty clear there's like a gotcha moment in the book. It's pretty clear yeah. that this is, this is, he's invented this, but that him being her mentor-ish person uh, of this tragic woman who committed suicide somehow is like an important part of how he sees himself because he keeps coming back to it. But so that her story was like owned by these men. Um, mm. And now I think Imen reclaims her story not for women she doesn't turn her into any kind of feminist icon whatsoever i think she yeah. reclaims her story only for for the story um to you know unearth ayat. you know uh, i really felt her existence as a person throughout this not as a yeah. co- not as a cause not as a
1: a thing no, exact, that- exact. Exa- yes, I, 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 I agree completely. She does it. It's not a kind of. Um, she's not using her to make a point.
2: Right, right. Which I think, previous to that, you know, Hassan Shah was used her story to make probably a, whatever, a good point about how problematic personal status laws were. Um, it, although I was personally offended by this uh him roughly a happy woman cannot commit suicide will not commit suicide for a book over a book um like well okay first of all like what is a happy woman and oh, <laughs> uh, why would a happy a happy woman commit suicide at all um but that you know he was talking about he used her story to talk about personal status laws and anismon sort used her story to talk about i don't know what a wonderful benevolent duty is um but that uh that so her story ultimately had to be brought out from those things
1: and the truth is that everybody uses other people's stories to their own to their own like we all kind of you know steal stories all the time and then twist them around to as to be part of our repertoire right absolutely um and so it's more just, again, the question of trying to untangle them and find out what, the, what their real basis right. is. Right. And
2: I, uh, I would say I found Hassan Shah to be a... I did find Anis Mansour ultimately to be a villain.
1: <laughs> but Hassan Shah is the person who wrote the screenplay for the uh, Uri Hallan movie?
2: Yes. Yes. I yes. thought
1: it was... It's not a woman. It's a man. Yes. Oh. I must have misread something. I thought they'd been at school together, so I assumed it was a a woman. And I guess because the movie seems so from the point of view of a woman.
2: Uh yeah, well he he I think he interviewed he uh he talked to her her sister who was also uh, a divorcee at at that they were, you know, they were both, you know, at at some point she talks about how both of Two of Abbas's daughters, who <laughs> he named them all. Uh, Nadia Lotfi, I think, says that he was s- obsessed with the letter Ayn, you know. He named them all names that begin with Ayn. Um, yeah. That two of his daughters uh, had broken from their husbands. Um, but he, he seems like a lovely man, you know, Abbas a- Zayed, um He was supportive of her, um, including, after, you know, def- defending her work after her death uh and you know trying to help her through the her depression
1: yeah he does seem like a nice dad um do you know if i mean maybe it's early days but are there any plans to translate this book into english already um i i don't i can't say for sure um i mean robin
2: mosher is already thanked in the acknowledgments at the back uh I guess just I assumed that Robin was going to translate it. I am sure that this book uh, would have a grateful audience in English, very much so in German, um, uh, and I'm sure in other languages as well. Uh, any, Certainly for any fan of W.G. uh you must read this book for anyone who's, whatever, interested in life in the world. I don't know. Uh, Is that your
1: blurb? That's for <laughs> anyone who's interested in life
2: in the world. A terrible blurb. I'm the world's worst blurb writer. People, oh, people would oh, right, ask
1: me. Sound awful. People,
2: people ask me to write blurbs, and they're like, "Can I edit it to this, which sounds much more exciting?" Um. Uh, anyway, so I, I mean, I feel hundred percent certain that it will appear in English translation, but I don't know. No, when. me
1: too. I feel like it's a foregone conclusion. I mean, because Marcel's. Maybe we should talk a little bit about her her previous yes. work, and we have talked about um, her book about motherhood um, in yes. a previous episode, and we can link to that. Um, that's actually the only. I think I've read some of her poems. Uh, yeah, so but not that many of them. Uh, right. So she was. She was born in
2: 66, the year before uh, Love and Silence was published. And um, she is, you know, sort of known as part of the 90s generation. She was editor of uh, this magazine, Bint al-Ard, in the the late 80s. And then her first poetry collection came out in 1990. And I think she is still primarily called a poet. Um, She published, you know, several more collections after that, even after she moved in. To Canada in 1999, she really still remained and remains a a very kind of central part of the Egyptian poetry scene. Her last poetry collection, though, was Until I Give Up the Idea of Houses, which was published in 2013. And I'm pretty sure Robin Creswell is translating that book, although I don't know uh, where it will be published or on what timeline. Um, But so then she started moving towards prose um, with her co translation of Beer in the Snooker Club with Rima Reyes. And then she also translated, uh, which was published, I think, in 2013. And then she translated uh, Charles Simic, uh, the poet, the American poet, its memoir, uh, A Fly in the Soup, uh, for Kutubchan in 2016. And then she wrote. How to Mend on on Motherhood and Its Ghosts, which was translated by Robin Mosher and published by Mufradat and translated by Robin Mosher. And she talks about that book inside this book. So this book was started, the Anayat Zayad book, you know, is a very big project, was started before the Motherhood book. and uh, yeah, it
1: seems like it kind of germinated for years, in fact.
2: Right. And there was a lot of there's a point at which, you know, um, her relationship with Nadia Lotfi hit a little bit of rocky ground because she says that she had promised her that it would be, you know, done in a year that she would or that she'd have a, you know, a finished draft for Nadia to read in a year, which um, seems like a ridiculous thing to have said. And yet, you know, in the moment, maybe it seemed perfectly reasonable. Um because it is yes such an enormous project um so it it's you know she you can certainly feel her uh as a poet in this um but she has really um worked a lot on prose since 2013 since the her last until i give up the idea of houses book came out mm Not 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 any fiction. Um, All of it is well, except for the translation of Beer and the Snooker Club. Obviously, is fiction. Um, But her writing has been, and she's also written some essays as well. She's
1: also she teaches right in the states.
2: Yes, yes, she's an academic as well, and I think you can feel the. And she talks about. You know, some tech guy at her university giving her help and figuring out soft, you know, family tree software. Uh, you know, you can feel that she is part of the rigor of of academia, and that um, you know, she she also had tools for research at, at her fingertips as well, um, and that she was also reading. There is like um, um, uh, a a denser intellectual history underpinning to this than you would, you know, necessarily find in a popular biography of Anayata Zayat or something.
1: In a way she has all the tools because, because, because there's also, there's that, there is that rigor underneath it and the kind of intellectual depth, but then there's the light touch of an artist, right? Yeah. There's it's, it's, and there's this gift for language I mean, you know, just the descriptions of scenes, the way she formulates the ideas is so poetic, really. And that, but then you're right, then there's this sort of like, perseverance of someone who, who is going to research a topic, you know, down to the ground. And uh, it, actually, she has the, really all the, all the abilities that you need to kind of pull a book like this off.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, 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 it's sometimes amazing to me how she can put herself into the book. Like, um, uh, I had mm. to attend my aunt's funeral the night before this interview, so I came in a dark and sour mood. A- and yet, uh, it never um, takes the place of the research or Anaya de Zayed. It's just, you know, part of the painting of the entire landscape of it.
1: Yeah. Well, I think what we should do is we should go out on the excerpt uh that Iman Marcel very generously and kindly recorded for us to share and maybe introduce it first um for those who who won't be able to understand the Arabic, give a sense of of what it's talking about.
2: Yeah, I mean, I uh just um you know, one of the things that the book does is imagining other possibilities. I, I think that this is, she thinks about suicide a lot, how it impacts the lives of other people around. And then I think one of the things that probably uh, is co- a common wh- thing, you know, what if, what what were some other possible lives she could have had? What if she hadn't? What if she hadn't what if she hadn't been born in the sixties? What if she'd born and been born in the nineties like I mention? Right.
1: Well, um, because also she finds a line in Anayat's journals where right, Anayette herself yeah. says, I feel like I was born in the wrong time, or it's 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 one of the lines from her novel. And so and so, yes, she suddenly she kind of transports her to the nineties, imagines them meeting, not meeting, being friends, not being friends, how each of them would have felt about the other uh killing herself and uh but there's and she's also making this point I think about how she imagines her as having been very alone in her yeah. time, right? right?
2: Like yes. Right. Uh not being part maybe, of a group,
1: Yeah, of the, of a political movement or a social set or 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 an artistic, you know, clique that would have maybe helped her not feel so alone uh at a time when it you know and she talks about the idea of struggle of 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 constantly struggling on all these different fronts to be independent to write her book to keep her son and and how at at some moment it maybe felt like she had lost all these battles
2: yeah
1: all right well it's yep, an absolutely ahead. lovely book, is all I want to say. Like I I mean, there's basically we just spent an episode like raving about it. There's I really, really liked it.
2: Right. The um, T L D R is just read the book. Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um and, and and with that we'll say we'll we'll say goodbye for today and uh and leave you uh with uh Iman and uh Anayet. Yes. Thanks Ursula. Thank you dear.
0: Bye bye. ولكن لماذا تظل عنايات سجينة اوائل الستينيات؟ الم تقل هي نفسها انها ربما ولدت في زمان الخطا بل وحلمت بان وجودها وتولد في زمان اخر لتكن عنايات الزيات كاتبه مصرية تسعينيه لقد قابلتها بالصدفه في القاهرة في 1990 كنا كاتبتين شابتين تتكلمان لغتين مختلفتين أو ربما لم نكن نتكلم أي لغه على الإطلاق الأكيد لم يكن هناك مشروع سياسي نلتف حوله ولا حلم جماعي يؤرقنا لم يكن هناك نجوم مثل أنيس منصور ويوسف السباعي ولم يكن هناك سجن الوحات أيضا كنا مطرودتين من الخواء الكبير بإرادتنا بدت لي كتومة وهشة وبعيدة ومحميه خلف قناع الطبقة لا أعرف على أي صورة رأتني المرجح أنها لم تستطع أن ترى أحدا خارجها في الحقيقة لقد استحالت الصداقة بيننا ولو كنت أنا من انتحرت في يناير 1993 لشعرت عنايات بالندم أكثر من الحزن ذلك أنها لم تحاول أن تعرفني ولكن منذ انتحرت عنايات في يناير 1993، وأنا أشعر بالحزن وبالذنب معاً، ذلك أني صدقت موهبتها، وترقبتها أن تعيش لتكتب. ذلك أني فهمت آلامها، ولكني لم أعرف كيف أقول لها ذلك. انتابتني رغبة في القصوة على عنايات، ربما تكون القسوة هي الإحساس الوحيد الذي لم أشعر به نحوها تخيلت ظلت عنايات تبحث عن معنى في الكتابة وأصبح هذا المعنى هويتها لم تفهم معنى قيام الدولة بصناعة مشروعات ثقافية في عهد الثورة لم تعرف أن هناك نجوما ومناضلين في السجون وخارجها ومجهولين يعرفون بعضهم بعضا وصراعات تخلط الأدب بالسياسة بالنشر حدث معها ما يحدث كثيراً ما رأيناه بأعيننا يتحول الكاتب الذي لا يستطيع أن يتواصل مع الآخرين إلى بطل مسرحي تراجيدي يتضخم في عزلته إحساسه الوهمي بالظلم أو بالعزمة أو بانعدام معنى وجوده ينتهي به الأمر في منصب ثقافي أو يصبح متصوفاً أو حقوداً أو عصامياً متعالياً مشغولاً بصورته كعصامي نزيه أو مؤيدا لسلطة من القتلة، أو يعود إلى عائلته التي لن يصدق أبدا أن يعود إليها أو ينتهي به الأمر بطلا بطلا يرفض كل هذه الطرق فيتخلص من حياته ربما أن هذا ما حدث حاربت عنايات من أجل فرديتها وانتظرت مكافأة النصر من الدار القومية للنشر من نفس المجتمع الذي حاربت ضده كانت الطلاق مكافأة وكتابة الرواية مكافأة والعمل في مركز الآثار الألماني مكافأة لكن خسران قضية الحضانة هزيمة ورفض الرواية هزيمة وانشغال صديقتها عنها هزيمة وتضحية بالحب من أجل الأمومة هزيمة لا يكون أمام الفرد الحر أمام كل هذه الهزائم إلا أن يقفز مرة أخيرة في الفراغ